I used to spend my summers when I was a young teenager in Texas. Every summer, when, as soon as school was out, my mama would ship me to my aunt and uncle's house in Texas. And they had four kids. The youngest and I were the same age, and the rest of them were all older. And they, there was just some country folk, good people, Christian people. She was, the, she was the first person, my aunt was, to teach me how to plead the blood of Jesus. We was at a Mr. Cook drive through line. And we were praying over her leukemia, and we were pleading the blood of Jesus. And she was like, come on, boy, plead the blood of Jesus. And, and it was that kind of a family dynamic. And my cousins loved me. We, we enjoyed each other. We still see each other today and laugh about a lot of the old stories. I mean, you got some childhood memories. Come on with your cousins. Yeah, not all of them are good. But... Uh, <laughs> But man, my cousins loved me. They, they enjoyed me coming there because all year they had to fight with each other. But when I came, they got to beat up on me. I was like, they didn't go to Disneyland. They just invited me over for the summer. <laughs> so, so we had a good time and they loved me deeply. But my cousins were a little gangster. They had a little thug in them. They would do some, some trickery. They would do some crazy things to get to me, to try to scare me, to get a good laugh out of me at my expense. And so, like I said, they lived in the country on about four acres, and then it was surrounded by woods, and, and they had some roaches. Come on, country folk, no, you got a few roaches every now and then. Ain't no shame in it. But they, had, they didn't have them, them little bitty, they had them big old roaches. Come on, them ones like if you step on 10 of them, you'll start skating, right? Like big old country wood tree roaches. And so they had them roaches, and, and we, one night we went to bed, and well, my aunt and uncle would shut the house down and everybody had to go and we went into a room and we started playing and talking. And they said to me, I said, hey, you like snacks, huh? And I was like, oh yeah, I like snacks. <laughs> me and snacks get along real good. They said, you want a snack? I'm like, yeah, I want a snack. And they said, all right, well, let's, let's go to the kitchen and get a snack. And they let me walk first. And I'm walking to the kitchen to get a snack, not aware of what's going on. Everything's dark. They stop in the hallway, and they're all piled up watching me, and they let me walk to the middle of the kitchen, and they kick the light on. And I'm telling you, it was a million of them big old gangster roaches all over the kitchen floor and the countertops. I screamed. I freaked out. The roaches screamed. They freaked out. Woke my aunt and uncle up. We all got in trouble, and I didn't get no snack. So the title of my message today is Keep the Light On. <laughs> You're going to get that in a minute. Keep the light on. Keep the light on. It was probably only 20 or 30 roaches. You know, that's not as bad as a million. Yes, it is. <laughs> so today I want to talk to you. You ready? I want to talk to you about sin. Oh, we was having a good time. Pastor, I was enjoying your roach story. Some of you just went, oh, man, I should have skipped church today. Some of you were like, whoo. I'm glad I got out of bed and came to church today. For the first person, your attitude has a, it, it creates a great concern for me because sometimes too many of us have learned to live with our sin. We've learned to adjust our lives and, and, and live in such a way that our sin is not getting any attention. So we live with this underlying issue called sin that's never dealt with. It's kind of like the, the family secret. Nobody talks about it. Nobody deals with it. It's just laying there. Hopefully nobody sees it. I'm, I'm worried about that. Now, if you're here and your, your heart went, mm, I'm sure glad I got out of bed this morning. Your attitude tells me that 
you're tired of living that way and you want to deal with it. And you're ready to live free from it. And I'm very hopeful for you today. So, so cheer up, cheer up. This is going to be a good sin message. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to beat you across the head. I might holler. I might holler. Okay. <laughs> We're going to be in First in John, most of the message, and I'm going to wrap up with three points at the very end. But First John chapter 1, starting in verse 1 to 4, I want to show you something. Before we get into the whole sin issue, I want to show you something the apostles saw and heard. Listen to them. This is John writing to us, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, talking about Jesus, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This is this one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He is with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we, what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So you're hearing directly from one of the apostles. In fact, John was the apostle that laid his head on Jesus's chest. Him and Jesus were extremely close. John was, was at the cross. John was there. John took Jesus's mama and cared for her afterwards. John and Jesus were close, just like all the other disciples were close. But John had an intimate relationship with Jesus. And he's saying to us today, I want to proclaim to you everything that we've heard literally, and seen literally. You with me? So they're telling us what they saw. They're telling us what they heard. They saw Jesus. They touched Jesus. They actually did life with Jesus. And the purpose for them telling us this, watch this, I hope you caught it, was so that we could have fellowship together with them who is having fellowship with the Father and the Son. Look at what he says. He says, and our fellows, he says, we proclaim to you what, ourself, what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. So we're saying this so that you can hang out with us. But let me tell you who's hanging out with us. Come on, you got to get this. God the Father and Jesus are hanging out with us. We're all hanging out together, so you get invited into this whole thing. So John is saying to you today, I'm not here to run you off because of sin. I'm here to invite you in because of sin, and I want you to see what you have not seen and hear what you have not heard. I'm inviting you into a relationship with Jesus, with the Father. It's an invitation. And then he says this, and the result of that fellowship, come on, is we get to share in great joy. How many of you like joy? Come on. Yeah, smile. Smile when you do that. <laughs> I like joy. I like joyful people. I hate hanging out with people who boo day all the time. <laughs> right? I'm like, come on, pick your lip up. Like, something. So what is John telling us today? He's saying get into relationship with Jesus and stay there. Stay there. It's not a bipolar relationship. Stay there. 
I know, but eh, pastor, some days I don't feel it. Some days it just don't seem good. Some days I don't hear him. Some days I don't feel him. He's still there. Just be there too. Amen? Stay there. Because I want you to understand something today. Your salvation experience was just the beginning. You were never meant to stay at the cross. Jesus didn't stay at the cross, did he? Where's Jesus? Sitting at the right hand of the Father in deep relationship with the Father. His relationship went from the cross to the right hand of the Father. Our relationship with Jesus started at salvation, but it was never meant to stay at salvation. It was meant to grow and grow and grow and grow. Cheryl and I will celebrate 24 years of marriage tomorrow. Come on. Y'all did that for her. (laughs) I'm a handful. Or two. (laughs) And we've been together for 28 years. We dated for four. It took her a little while to make up her mind. I like to think she was overwhelmed by the goodness of God in her life (laughs) for bringing me all the way from Franklin. (laughs) It's hopeful. Hopeful dreams. But our relationship started with an attraction. It was simple. It was attraction. She saw me and went, ooh. I saw her and I went, oh. And and then the the magnetic force took over. And before you knew it, we got some phone numbers, right? So the relationship started with attraction and phone numbers. She refused to call me. Because back in my day, the man did the calling. You was raised right, girl. Come on. She made me wait for three or four days. I thought she was going to call me. I'm still working today. (laughs) Our relationship started with attraction, but 28 years later, she is my absolute best friend on the planet. Nobody knows me and still loves me like she does. And nobody knows her and still loves her like I do. I am so excited that the kids are leaving tonight to go crabbing with their aunt and uncle, and they're going to be going all day Monday, and they're not coming back till Tuesday because I get to hang out with my best friend. Holla. Like, don't call me, though. (laughs) I'll tell you like the kids, unless you're dying or bleeding, don't call. Can I get a witness? So watch this. The relationship is intended to grow. It's intended to move on. Jesus is more than salvation. He is life. Jesus is life. It started with salvation, but he's life. Amen? And how you do life with Jesus determines how your life goes. God, I hope you hear me today. John Piper said this. He said, sin is what you do when you're not satisfied in God. Sin is what you do when you're not satisfied in God. So how do we get dissatisfied with God? When we don't get what we want? When we don't show up when we want him to show up? When the package don't come like we thought it was going to come? When we go through hard times and struggles? Mm, When we're selfish and we want to please ourselves because God ain't fast enough? We get dissatisfied, then we end up in sin. So one more thing before I get into some 
the, the meat of the message, what did the disciples actually hear? The thing I love about John is John tells us in verse 5, he tells us what they heard. This is the message. You got to get this today. You absolutely have to get this point today. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. Pause for a second. Watch this. John, John got the message from Jesus and he's delivering it to us in Eunice today. Are you seeing this? So this is like direct deposit, y'all. We heard from Jesus and now declare to you, here it is, super big, super complicated, God is light. And in him is no darkness. This is what we heard. What are they saying? What is John telling us today that Jesus declared over 2,000 years ago? Why is he telling us that God is light and in him there is no darkness? Could it be that every person you've ever encountered in your life has been imperfect? Could it be that every person you've ever met or had an experience with has some percentage of darkness in them? No one's perfect. Jesus was the only perfect person to ever walk on the planet. We're being perfected, but we're not perfect. Amen? In other words, we should be in the perfection process, but we're not there yet. Look at your name and say, you're not there yet, bro. Everybody you've ever met is not perfect. So it's hard sometimes to understand how awesome God is because you've never met anybody like him before. We struggle to understand how much God loves us because we've never been loved like that before. Too many strings attached, too much held back. Love wasn't given when it was supposed to be given. So we struggle as Christians to understand how deep and how wide and how high God's love is for us. All we do, the best we can do is relate it to what we've experienced. And so part of our freedom process is getting away from our experiences and discovering how much God loves us. <laughs> Growing and staying in the light of God is coming out of your old way into a new way and discovering how much he loves us. He's perfect. And Jesus just thought we should know that today. So I want to show you seven ifs, I-F apostrophe S, seven ifs in 1 John. These are all conditional. And I want you to see what John's telling us today as it relates to sin and relationship with God. Y'all ready? <clears throat> you ready? 1 John 1.6. First if, if we say we have fellowship but don't live like it, we're in trouble. Verse six, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Woo, right off the bat, John just comes get all up in your grill. Like he said, you're lying. He didn't even like try to butter it up a little bit. He just comes to try, you're lying. If you say you have fellowship with God, but you continue to live in that old darkness. Hmm. 
We're not practicing the truth. Whoa. Yeah, I've learned not to be impressed by what people say. If I'm going to be impressed, I'm going to be impressed by what people do. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. So when we have fellowship with God, we take on his character and his nature. I bet some of you could sit whenever your closest, either your spouse or your best friend goes, hangs out with somebody else or your kids. Like I could always tell who my kids were hanging out with because they would come back acting like those kids. Right? Sometimes I was good. Sometimes I was just bad. I'm like, no, you ain't going back over there. But why, daddy? Because you act like a donkey when you come back. Well, why? Because you took on their character and you took on their nature. When we hang out with God, we should become more like God. We should take on his character and his nature. A healthy Christian is becoming more and more like God. He's not sitting in staleness. And as we grow in his character, we begin to reflect him in our daily lives. Oh, you got to get this. You got to get this. People need to see Jesus in all of your life. Because Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to have a church life only. He died so that you could have life abundantly, whole life. Not just church life, because some of y'all are real good. You come to church, you speak the right words, you say the right things, you act the right way, you hallelujah, you praise God, you raise your hands, and I'm glad you do all that. But listen to me, if the relationship ain't real and you're still living in darkness, you lying. You lying. The world don't need us to have a church life. This lost, dying world needs us to have whole life. That means when you go to the gym, you got Jesus. When you go to work, you got, come on. When you go to work, you got Jesus. When you at Walmart, you got Jesus to go to Walmart. When you're on 190 and the lanes get all tight and people about to run you off the road, Jesus needs to be in the car. Because your family doesn't need you to have a church life only. They need you to have a whole life. Your friends need you to see your whole life. They need to see Jesus in every area of your life. In fact, I'll push it a little bit further. I'll say it this way. If your friends and family are not somewhat discomforted by your relationship with Jesus, you might ought to check out the validity of your salvation. If you went to the family reunion last year and you were a certain way and you slipped up a few times, you ought not slip up again the next year. Why? Because Jesus is in your heart and you're living in the light and you're getting better all the time and you're trusting him to deal with some of the issues you got. If you're still blowing up over the same stuff you used to always blow up over, it might be time to go get up in a closet with Jesus and let him pull that out your heart. Amen? Is that help? Yes? Okay. All right. I, I don't try to make people uncomfortable. I just, I, I, sh, I, I, I should make people uncomfortable. I love them. I'm not treating them like a heathen. 
Jesus never treated nobody like a heathen. The only people he got mad at was the religious people. Those who said they were Christians but didn't act like it. Jesus got around sinners and he loved the mess out of them. They were uncomfortable. And that's okay. Because they were being loved in the process. Amen? So light has a meaning. Light means this, to reflect God's character in every area of your life. This is something that we consistently grow in. Christians should consistently be growing in God's character. We, our life should look like transformation. It should look like newness. What's new about you? Come on. What's new about you? It should, it should, look, like, it should look like freshness. What's fresh about your life? There should be a measure of greater humility in your life. Because when you live in the light and you take on God's character, humility is a big deal. So light has a meaning. Darkness has a meaning too. Darkness means to live a sin-filled life where nobody's dealing with it. There's no growth. There's no godly character. There's no change. It's prideful. It's sameness. It's tameness that leads to lameness. Everything's hidden, not open with anybody, not transparent with anybody, hidden, dark. That's just the first if. <laughs> so that's if we say we have fellowship but don't live like it. Watch this. The second if, if we are living in the light, it says something. Watch this. But if we're living in the light, he tells us how, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So man, there's blessings that come when you live in the light as God is in the light. Come on, this is closeness. You gotta get close to God. Like Sunday ain't nearly enough for you to be close to God. Dear Jesus, this is just a kick in the tail for you to get up on Monday and get up in his presence again. Amen? It's being in the light. Where the roaches don't hang out. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you get the free zones. So you get two gifts when you live in the light. Watch this. The first one is this. You get to have fellowship with other believers who are actually living in the light. Now, let me explain that for a second. You can have fellowship or relationship with church people, and that's one thing. But this fellowship he's talking about is a whole nother level. This kind of fellowship is open. There's transparency. There's no secrets. We don't hide nothing. You come in my house in this kind of a relationship, you can open my pantry. You can get up in my fridge. You don't have to ask permission. You already got it. Because I understand the value of our relationship. I understand that you're surrendered to Christ and you're living in the light and I'm living in the light. That means we can have great fellowship. Does that make sense? So when we live in the light, we get to have fellowship with others who live in the light. And then the second thing is the blood of Jesus cleanses us from how much sin? All. Oh. How much needs to be dealt with? All. Oh. <laughs> Are you seeing it? The third if. If we claim we have no sin. Ruh-roh. If we claim we have no sin, he's got something to say about that too. Verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. It's foolish to deny 
your sin. It's foolish to actually live like you have no sin. It's living a lie. Look at me. Everybody look at me real quick. We all have sin. Let me just throw that out there today. Just in case you walked in here a little too pumped up. We all have sin. There you go. Knock the air out your tire. The Pharisees in Jesus' day created a list of over 600 sins. It's like 620-something sins. I read through them. It's called an exhaustive list of sin. I was exhausted by the time I finished reading the list of sin. And I was going to print it out and cut it out and hand it to you. And I was like, no, then they're going to be exhausted too. (laughs) You're welcome. Instead, I prayed and asked God, help me explain this a little bit better. Instead of going through 620-something sins. There was the Ten Commandments, right? Jesus took the Ten Commandments and simplified them. What did he do? He said, there's two things that you need to do. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. All being the key word. Then he said to love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. So watch this. Jesus said he summed up all of that by saying love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. What is sin? Anything less than that. That's sin. If I'm going to take off and go to the liquor store and get blasted, Was that loving my neighbor as myself? Was that loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind? No. That's me being selfish. Come on. If I'm going to talk about you behind your back, that's not loving my neighbor as myself. Right? Anything less than that is sin. So the truth is we've all sinned and that sin needs to be dealt with. Amen? Amen. It's not a shocker that you have sin. It's just a shocker that you haven't dealt with it if you haven't dealt with it. Fourth if. If we confess our sins. There's something good comes from this. If we confess our sins. You ready to know what happens? This should be one of your life verses. 1 John 1, 9. You, You should have this memorized. But... If we confess our sins to him, talking about Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Wow. This is conditional, though. You got to get this today. This is highly conditional. Notice what he says. If we confess our sins to Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. He doesn't just do that whenever he wants to. If we confess, he forgives and he cleanses. The opposite is true. If we don't confess... You ready? He don't forgive. And he don't cleanse. You know why I'm saying that? You know why I'm stressing that a little bit? Because some of us believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he forgave us of all our sins. And that is true to some degree. 
He forgave us of all sins. The power of forgiveness applies to every sin possible once it's confessed. Once it's confessed. Why does he want us to confess it if he already knows it? You ever wonder? Like, why I got to tell God what I need? He knows everything. Like, why I got to tell him I need a miracle? He sees me dying over here. Right? Why is he making me talk? I don't want to talk. Because there's something that happens when I own what I did and I say it out loud. Ooh, ooh. Got quiet up in this Baptocostal church. So if you don't confess, then you don't receive forgiveness and cleansing. Can you handle that? So watch this. To confess my sin is to posture myself. I position myself to receive forgiveness and cleansing when I confess. I posture myself. In other words, I have responsibility to deal with my sin with a father who can deal with my sin, with the Christ who shed his blood to wash away my sin. I have a responsibility now that I've been adopted into his family to take my failures and my sins and to come to him with him so that he can deal with it. We should confess sin until Jesus comes back. <laughs> you know why? Because none of us are done with sin yet. Uh-huh. Yeah, you ain't smoking nothing, drinking nothing, cussing nothing, but you still got some other issues that are bigger than that. I thought when I gave up the weed and the wine, <laughs> it was all good. That was just the beginning. Lord, now he's dealing with my heart, with my attitude. He's dealing with my thoughts, with my processes, with what I'm feeling like I'm about to do. He's checking my motives. So when you hold your sin, you posture yourself to stay guilty and stained. You see, here's the beauty in all of this. If I let it go, he'll deal with it. If I hold on to it, I deal with it. If I let it go, he deals with it. If I hold on to it, I deal with it. Are you seeing the pattern here? If I let it go, he deals with it. If I hold it, I deal with it. How long do you want to deal with it? How long do you want to live guilty and stained? Anybody ready to live clear and free? Come on. Todd Stalker said this. He said, sin builds up. Let me explain that for a second. Sin builds up. It's like the grease when you fry a lot of bacon and chicken in your house. It's the grease that gets all up on the hood vent. If you got one. If not, it just gets on the cabinets. Right? And if you never clean it, if you never break it down and, and scrub it and apply some chemicals to it that can deal with it, it just keeps on building up. And then when your friends come, they're like, girl, your house is greasy and crusty. And some of our lives look greasy and crusty because we don't want to deal with the sin. Sin builds up. Forgiveness cleans up. Hey, nothing cleans like the blood, y'all. Right. Nothing cleans like the blood. 
Fifth if, I got to move on. Fifth if, if we claim we have not sinned. <laughs> this is crazy. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Do you know there's people that actually believe they've never sinned? Do you know there's people that actually live like they've never sinned? Now that can be good or bad. Hold that for a second. Some people believe they've never sinned and they're calling God a liar. They're not the liar, they're calling God a liar. And they're showing that his word has no place in their hearts because Romans 3.23, last time I read it, and I know God didn't change it, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and I am on all. And so are you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's what happens if we claim we have not sinned. The sixth if. If we do sin, what happens then? Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. (laughs) I'm preaching this to you so you won't sin. You see it? Like, it's not okay to sin. Like, we don't think because God's grace applies and the blood cleanses that we have permission to sin now. It's not true. We don't have permission to sin. We should be so in love with God and so doing what God wants us to do that we ain't got time for sin. Amen? So he says this, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Tell me God don't love you. Not only did he send Jesus to die on the cross so that his blood could forgive our sins and his sacrifice would be more than enough to pay for our sin, Jesus is now sitting at his right hand pleading our case. He says, you have an advocate. It's not a newspaper. What's an advocate, Pastor? I'm glad I got an advocate, but what the heck's an advocate? Well, an advocate is a person who comes to your aid. This is a person who pleads your case to a judge. So so wrap your head around this for a second. I decide to sin. It's a decision. It's always a decision. (laughs) Like we don't accidentally sin. (laughs) Y'all knew that? Okay. Thought crossed my mind for a second. Like, well, pause for a minute. When I decide to sin, I go through the sin, I act on it, right? Instantly comes guilt, shame, condemnation, filth, dirt. Everything the enemy promised me to get me here that said it was all going to be good and gravy, it wasn't. He lied, and he always lies, and all he can do is lie. So every time he tells you it's going to be better when you sin, he's lying. Because the minute you sin, you realize he was lying, and I got taken advantage of. Right? So I sin. What determines how fast I get out of it? What determines? Me. 
Some of us live under this old Catholicism type of thing where we have to suffer with our sin. We have to live in a, a purgatory type of thing for so long. Like, I, like God's mad at me now. He's not happy. But like he's mad at me now and I got to walk around like a beat puppy until finally one day he calls my name again and says, hey, you can come home now. That's not the God that I serve. I learned a secret. I can sin and confess it the next minute. I didn't think I could do that. I'm like, really? Like, I, like, like 1 John 1, 9, like, works right now? Like, like, this thing's still fresh. Like, the smoke's still bellowing out. Like, I can confess now? You seeing this? When I confess, Jesus advocates for me. I confess. I used to be afraid of that thinking. You know why? Because I thought, well, I can get in the habit of confessing and then just keep on sinning. And it's like I got permission to sin because I got a way out. It's like eating cheeseburgers and never, and never getting fat. Fried chicken, never get no cholesterol, heart issues. Come on, somebody. And I was afraid of that. But what I realized in the process was is that if I get good at confession, whether it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times a day, he's always faithful right there, knocking on the door. Last time I read in Revelations, knocking on the door. Hey, can I come in? Can I come in? I want to help you. I want to plead your case. I'm for you, not against you. And I know for some of you, that's, that's kind of twisting your head up a little bit. Because some of you come from the same kind of background I came from. Where you were done when you sinned. And the only way out was to suffer with it. Last time I checked, Jesus suffered for me. So we have an advocate. One who pleads our case. If you've ever felt isolated and alone or powerless and you wish somebody would have been there to defend you, let me tell you something today. Jesus is always there to defend us. Jesus is always there to plead for us. He is for you and not against you. Amen? So watch this. Unconfessed sin leads us away from God. Why? Because it builds up. Like the grease on the hood vent, it builds up and it gets, life gets heavy and it gets, it gets awkward and it gets weird and we get away from God. Unconfessed sin will take you away from God, but confessed sin will keep you in his presence. But the enemy's been lying to you because he told you as soon as you sinned, God was mad at you, threw you out the house like your parents did, and now you're no good blankety blank. Remember, God's not your parents. Thank God. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, whew, yeah. I mean, my mama was a good mama, but thank God she's not God. So watch this. Anytime you're tempted to isolate, I want you to do something. I want you to stop. Anytime you feel like you need to run, you need to hide, 
You need to cover up something. You need to erase some history. Anytime you feel like you need to cover something up, I just want you to stop and identify what it is that's causing you to do that and just simply take that to Jesus and see what he does. Don't isolate. Draw in. Confess. Amen? Seventh if. If we obey his commands, there says something about us. Chapter 2, verse 3. And we can be sure that we know him, here it is, if, if we obey his commandments. Poo, but pastor, I don't like to do what the Bible says. I want to punch people when I'm mad. I want to cuss, scream, and holler when I feel like it. I want to take something when I want it. Come on, I don't want to do what the Bible says. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Now watch this. That word know, we got to clear that up for a second. That word know means to have intimate experiential knowledge with him. Not know about him. Because you can know about him and never do what he says. But if you really know him, you do what he says. Whew. Me, oh my. Watch this. Your obedience to God is the proof of the relationship. Like I told you earlier, I don't care what people say. Oh, bless the Lord, praise Jesus, hallelujah, blah, 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 blah. All I hear is wah, 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 wah. If I see somebody obeying his commands, I go, oh, dang. Look at here. When people come to me or come to somebody else and say, hey, I had a bad attitude the other day. The Holy Spirit just convicted me. Would you forgive me? I go, whoa, that's the real deal. Because there's a big difference in, in exposing somebody's sin than them confessing their sin. Mm. It's like in a marriage when, you, when you've been a little too, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, what's, I'm trying to come up with a quirky word, but it's not working. It's, uh, my wife calls it work mode. When I go into work mode, I, I, I get abrasive. And, and I say things and I get, my posture gets and the crinkle gets crazy and right and all that stuff. And, and I hurt her and I, I boss and I fuss. She knows I'm in good relationship with Jesus if she don't have to tell me, but Jesus tells me and I come and I deal with it. Big difference. Have you ever had your kids come confess sin? <gasps> Did anybody? <laughs> it's like nobody, I ain't raising my hand. How do you know that you know him? Are you willing to do whatever he says to do? <laughs> our obedience is our proof of the relationship. Actions, not words, define the relationship. 
So if we claim that we know him but refuse to do what he says, we're just lying. We're just lying. Yeah, buddy. Let me finish this up. Three ways to overcome sin. Let me give you three practical things to do to overcome sin. I just felt the heaviness on there. All of a sudden, I might need a keyboard player. Come on, Gerald. I need some anointing. I need something. Three ways to overcome sin. Number one, hang on with me for just a little bit longer. You're going to see something right here at the end. Three ways to overcome sin. Number one, you need to name it. You need to name your sin. Give it a name. Call it out. The old timers used to say you need to embarrass the sin in your life. How do you embarrass sin? You confess it. You confess it. You name it. Listen to Psalms 32.5. Finally. This is like he finally gets to the place. Finally. I confessed all my sins to you. And stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Finally. It's like he's been holding on to it. Not wanting to let it go. Not wanting to get rid of it. Not wanting to live without it. I got used to keeping it hidden. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to stir the waters. I just soon leave it right here. No. Confess it. And look at what happens. All my guilt is gone. Honesty and confession always lead to victory. Honesty and confession always lead to victory. So number one, we name it. Number two, we resist it. Oh, listen to Ephesians chapter four. It says this. He says to throw off. Say throw off. Come on, say it like you mean it. Throw off. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let, say let, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Then he says, put on, say put on. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So what is he telling us? Paul is saying you need to throw off some stuff. Throw it off. Throw it off. And then he says to let. This is where I have a problem. Me personally, this is Pastor Jamie. I have a problem letting the Holy Spirit do something in me. Because I like to control it. Let. It's like if you go into a restaurant and your friend says, man, I'm, I'm, I'm paying. Some of us are too prideful to let other people pay. We won't let them pay. Just like sometimes we won't let the Holy Spirit do what he's doing in us. And then he says to put on your new nature. Now watch this. You know what this is called? This is called repentance. 
This is the beautiful picture of repentance. Repentance is to throw off your old sinful nature, let the Holy Spirit renew you, and then put on the new nature. Repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. That's confession. Repentance is turning from your sin. You were going this way, and you turned, and you went the other way. Repentance comes after confession. Repentance is to throw off the old thing. That's what happens in the confession with the forgiveness and the cleansing. Come on. Like I walked in dirty, but I came out clean, and I'm walking another direction, and I'm letting the Holy Spirit show me the fruits of repentance. I'm letting him change me, and I'm putting on this new man. Come on, somebody. So we name it, then we resist it. And number three, we overpower it. We overpower it. Some of the guys are going, overpower. But it's not like what you think. You can't strain your way into Christianity. You can't flex your way. You ain't strong enough. Watch this, 2 Corinthians 5. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Let me show you this. Remember how when I started the message, I talked about how it's hard for us to relate to God and how much he loves us because we've never been loved like that? We are growing in that. We're growing in our understanding and our revelation of how much God loves us. As we grow and understand more of how God loves us and how great that love is, we gain more power to overcome sin. I'm going to show it to you from a personal experience and I'll wrap this up. I was struggling with the sin one time, as in many cases. I, w- I was trying everything I could to shuck it, to throw it off, to get rid of it. I confessed it to some friends. I, I was accountable to people. I just, I, it was just a sin that just kept coming. Sometimes we have nagging sin. And I was like, God, man, come on. Like, ah. Please. And never forget one time he said, do I love you? And I said, yeah. How much do I love you? I said, well, I think I know. It's a lot. He said, okay. He just left me there. And so after some time, I sinned again. And I was learning the art of confession. And I would sin and I would confess. He would forgive and cleanse. I would sin, confess. He would forgive, he would cleanse. I would sin, then I would confess. And he would go, how much do I love you? I said, more than I thought. And then he would forgive and then he would cleanse and then I would sin and I would confess. And he would say, how much I love you? And I'd say, way more than I thought. And I realized in that moment, it's the love of God that's empowering me to overcome sin. 
Because what I kept expecting from God was, okay, that's it. And I still haven't got that. Now, that's not permission to keep going. That's him showing me how much he's dedicated and committed to me and how much he loves me. And that's what's overwhelming me. And that's what's making me go, golly, I am so loved. Like sin can never, ever, ever give me what God gives me. It can't. So the more I understand his great love for me, the more power I possess to overcome sin. Amen? So watch this. All of this was an invitation that when you fall, when you sin, don't isolate, don't run, come to the Father. You'll discover how much he loves you. You'll you'll stay in the light and you won't venture out into darkness. Amen? Let me pray. I got eight things I want to pray for you this morning. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Eight very specific things I want to pray over you. Number one, God, I pray that we would get to know you intimately. I pray that, God, we would move from knowing about you to knowing you. You know us. You know the hairs on our head. You've got them counted and numbered. God, I pray that we would know you that way. Help us to know you intimately. Number two, I pray that, God, we would live in the fullness of your love. That, God, you would draw us in deeper. Show us the width and the depth and the height of your love. And, God, as you do, transform us into your image. Transform us into your likeness. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand and receive your great love for us. I pray we move past, we move from from our past experiences into new experiences with you, God. Number three, Lord, I pray that we will live open and transparent with you and with others. I pray, God, number four, that we would get really good at confession where the enemy wants us to get silent and to hide just like he did with Adam and Eve to make us go get some fig leaves and hide in the bushes. God, I pray we won't do that. We'll get really good at confession and we'll stay right there at your feet. And Lord, I pray number five that that we would follow the Holy Spirit's leading even better. Number six, I pray that we would hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. Number seven, I pray that we would keep on asking. We would never back down, never give up, never quit. And then number eight, God, I pray that we get really good at living in freedom. <laughs> Lord, help us to outlive our sin. The focus is not to not sin. The focus is to stay in the light. Lord, help us to stay in the light, to keep the light on. We live for you. We live because we've been given life. We don't have time to sin because we're too busy living. Thank you, God. Move in us. Transform us. In your mighty name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?